Hey, my name is Christian. This is my church, and today we will be reading from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 10:21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for the lack of sense. Proverbs 12:25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Proverbs 15:4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness and it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Well, good morning and welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad you're here this weekend with us, whether you're here in the West Service or you're over watching in East Hall or you're watching online. Thanks for spending some time with us. This is the second week of our new sermon series. We're calling it the Summer of Generosity. And I know it's not quite summer yet, but that, that we're naming it that because we are preparing to have a summer of generosity. For us, this is what we call a breathe out sermon series, which means we're hoping to take in something that we can exhale as blessing out in the community. We're looking for God to shape us in ways that would help us to bless those around us, neighbors, friends, family members, colleagues, and we hope that the ultimate blessing is we could point them all to the good news of Jesus Christ. So we're asking God, do something in us in order that you might do something through us. And uh, I know when I say the summer of generosity that your mind might automatically jump to money. And, and look, that'll be a future sermon series, I'm sure, because the Bible does have a lot to say about money and how we ought to use it to honor God and bless those around us, but that is not the focus this month. Instead, we're focusing on different ways to be generous. I, I was planning on saying ways that don't cost anything, but then Pastor Joe preached on forgiveness last week, and that felt like it cost something. So it's not free, it's just not financial, as we look for ways to bless those around us. And this week, we're going to be talking about being generous with encouragement, being generous with encouragement. So if you have a Bible, would you take it out and open it to the book of Proverbs? Uh, we'll start in chapter 10. Uh, but by the way, if you are new here, first of all, welcome. And if you don't know your way around the Bible, I first just want to say how glad I am that you are here. I imagine if you don't come from much of a church background, it took a lot of courage for you to come. And I'm glad. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're with whoever invited you. Uh, thanks for coming. But I also want you to know that we never want you to feel left out. So I actually preach from the Bible that's available here in the pew or in the back of the room in East Hall. And one of the reasons I do that is so that I can tell you that today's reading is on page 500. So if you want to grab a Bible, all you got to do is know how to count. You can get there to page 500. And by the way, the big numbers are the chapters and the little numbers are the verses. So if I say we're looking at Proverbs 10:21, you'd first find the 10 and then the 21. And that's important because we're gonna kinda of be looking at different verses around Proverbs and that'll help you navigate. But if you have it in front of you, uh, let me give you an outline that I'm gonna to use to make sense of these verses together. Three points and they go like this. I wanna talk about what is encouragement, why does it matter, and how do we become encouragers? What is encouragement, why does it matter, and how do we become encouragers. 
All right, let's start with number one. What is encouragement? Encouragement, I'm concerned, is one of those words that we use often, but we don't really understand. It's one of those words we use often, but we don't really understand. I, I remember when I was a first-year seminary student, I was traveling to a conference with two other first-year seminary students. We were in the car together for a long time, and we were talking about the things we were learning, but we didn't really know what we were talking about. And we were talking about one particular professor, and the guy driving the car said, well, I heard that that professor is a dispensationalist. And we all said, oh, and then the car was quiet for a minute. And the guy in the back seat said, I got to be honest with you. I don't know what that word means. And then I in the passenger seat said, me neither. And then the guy driving said, yeah, me neither. <laughs> He's the guy that said it, right? That's what happens with first-year graduate students. You're using words that you don't know what they mean. And I don't mean that about encouragement. I'm sure you could give me a perfectly fine definition for the word encouragement. I just mean that it's a word we're so familiar with that maybe we don't quite get its significance. You know, when we're teaching church planners here at the church as part of our Orchard NEO initiative, about how to think about their neighborhoods. One of the exercises we give them is to leave their neighborhood and go to the one just north or south or east or west and notice what changes. It's one of the best ways to dial in what's true of your community. When I go one community over, do the cars change? Do the houses change? Do the people change? You know, what does that tell me about why someone might choose to live in my community or why they might choose not to live in my community. It's a way of finding the meaning of your neighborhood by distinction. How is it different from those around it? And sometimes that's helpful with words. So if you indulge me, let me talk about what, it me what encouragement means by contrasting it with two words that are similar but different. Kind of the neighborhood of encouragement in contrast with the neighborhood of these other words. Like for example, let's talk about the difference between encouragement and praise. Encouragement and praise. Praise puts the emphasis on what a person does. Encouragement puts the, the emphasis on who a person is. Okay, that's the distinction. Praise is about what a person does. Encouragement is about what a per, who a person is. So oftentimes after a sermon, for example, one of you will come up to me and say, hey, that was great. And by the way, this sermon in no way is implying you shouldn't do that anymore. Okay, I like that. I like that. But here's the thing about praise. It's kind of like candy. It tastes good, but it evaporates. Because I've had this before. Well, I'll get up to preach a sermon, and then afterwards, three or four of you will say, man, that was awesome. And then next week, I don't know if you guys have lunch plans or whatever, everybody leaves and nobody says anything, and I'm left wondering, oh, no. <laughs> Last week you said it was great. This week it's crickets. What does that mean? And then I have to go find Pastor Joe and hear from him that I could be better. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So, so praise is great, but it's connected to what you did. And so you know inherently if I don't do as well next time, the praise goes away. Encouragement is about who you are. So I was at my, son's, my son Graham's t-ball game yesterday. He's six second year of playing t-ball, first game of the season. And one of the things I noticed about Graham is it might be true that his best trait as an athlete is that he's an encourager. 
He, he is a great encourager. And what I mean by that is when a kid gets a hit, everybody cheers. In fact, yesterday, it's funny. The kid gets up to hit for the first time. Any of the kids, they hit the ball. Everybody cheers. Praise, right? Great job. Second time they get up to hit, as soon as they make contact, sometimes they don't even run to first base. They just turn to the crowd. <laughs> Where you at? Where you at on that hit, right? But Graham's out in the field and he's an encourager. He's not just saying, good job fielding the ball. I've just noticed he's a natural encourager. He says things like, ooh, ooh, you are so fast. Wow, you're a really good baseball player. Man, you're awesome. So even at six, Graham as a natural encourager understands that it's not just about you fielding that ground ball because you might not get the next one. What he's doing is saying, you are fast. You try really hard. You are such a good baseball player. Encouragement puts the emphasis on who you are. Okay, let's contrast encouragement and affirmation. Affirmation is a wonderful thing. Affirmation puts the emphasis on the past. Hey, looking back with you, I agree that went really well. I, I agree that that time you did that thing, it was awesome. Encouragement looks to the future. It's more concerned with what you will be than what you have been. So encouragement means to celebrate who a person is and what that means for their future, to value them and have a vision for their future. That's why some people will say that the best definition for encouragement is to put courage into someone. That what encouragement does is it puts courage into a person by saying, hey, I want you to know, I see this wonderful thing that's true of you, and I'm excited about what that's gonna mean for you moving forward, which helps a person say, wow, okay, maybe I can do this. By the way, I've just, I just know that sometimes when we're doing a, a message like this and we're talking about something so practical like encouragement, maybe, just maybe, God is putting someone on your mind, a name, a conversation you need to have. I want you to hold on to that because the next thing I want you to see is why encouragement is so important. So encouragement is seeing the value of a person and casting vision for their life being excited about the future because of this wonderful thing that is true of them. Why is that so important? That's my second point. Well, let me ask you this. Do you feel stuck? Here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes, life has a way of beating us down. Life is hard, and we're flawed. And so oftentimes we're butting up against behavior patterns, thought patterns, uh, life patterns that we don't love, that are, are discouraging, disheartening, that leave us feeling sad, that leave us feeling anxious, that leave us feeling stuck because we don't know how to get out of them. In fact, as I talk to a lot of people who, like me, have pursued or are pursuing therapy, what we'll often say is the thing that drove us to go get help is that we felt stuck. It wasn't just that we felt bad. We felt bad before, but we didn't feel capable of getting free of it. When you get stuck, that's really hard. And I don't know if you feel this way. I certainly do. I feel like our world is stuck. I feel like I can turn on the news or social media and it's the same story 
It just happens somewhere else. It's like the same patterns are repeating. We're yelling at each other over the same disagreements. We're running into the same issues and the same problems. We are perpetually stuck. But I want you to think about this. If encouragement is putting courage into someone, if it's saying to someone, because of who you are, I'm excited about the future, it is the opposite of being stuck. It is saying to someone, I know you feel like you can't do this. I know you feel like it's never going to change. But I want you to know that I see something in you that gives me hope that you are not stuck that you can keep moving. And so I don't think it's an exaggeration to say if our world is stuck, if our families are stuck, if our marriages are stuck, if our own internal monologue is stuck, what we need is encouragement. That's actually what we need. And by the way, that's what the Bible says. The book of Proverbs is an interesting book. It is really a collection of Proverbs, of wise sayings. It's interesting because the writer of Proverbs will start the book picturing wisdom as though it was a woman walking down the streets. And wisdom is crying out and the writer is asking who will listen to her. That the idea is that God wants to communicate to us things that will help us live well. God wants to share his wisdom with us to lead us to flourishing. This is really important if you're here and you're not a Christian because you may think of the Bible as this kind of otherworldly book that just has in mind heaven and how to get there. You couldn't be more wrong. The Bible is very pragmatic. It's very real about this world and how to navigate it. And the book of Proverbs is maybe the best example of that. And it's no surprise then that the book of Proverbs, a book of wisdom, talks a lot about words. It talks a lot about words, in particular, using words for encouragement. In fact, I want to show you four different ways from these four Proverbs that God is telling us that encouragement is how we get unstuck. That encouragement is how we get set free from the patterns of our lives and our families and our worlds that are ruining us. Four ways that encouragement will help. Here's the first one. Encouragement sets us free from past words. Encouragement sets us free from past words. Listen to what the writer of Proverbs says when he talks in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24. This is what he says. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. The writer here is picturing encouragement as though it is medicine for a wounded person. He has in mind here rejuvenation, restoration, and people who need it. That encouragement comes to a person whose, whose past and whose self-perception have been shaped by the words of others. Listen, every person I've ever talked to who has found therapy helpful has primarily found it helpful because it has helped them to deal with the past words that have been spoken to them and about them that have been hurtful. The parent who said they were stupid, worthless, 
would never amount to anything, who made them feel ashamed. The spouse who beat them down, the rebellious teenager who spoke such hateful things to them, and a a supervisor at work who minimized them and made them feel small. Past words, negative words, hurtful words, they don't just hurt us, they stick with us. In fact, I remember telling my therapist once that uh, hurtful words were like, uh, this is the picture I gave, which is a a very aggressive one, which is a window into me. But I'm talking about this guy in the medieval war movie. He's in a medieval war movie. He's charging his enemies. And then, whoom, he gets hit with an arrow. And he's a warrior, so he keeps moving. And then, boom, he gets hit with another one. Boom, boom, boom. Next thing you know, he's getting closer to the enemy. He's ready to fight. But he's got like 25 arrows sticking out of him. And he's strong enough to keep moving, but he's moving slowly. And he's not nearly as effective as he might have been. And I remember saying, that's how I feel sometimes, that that these arrows, these things that have been said to me just stick with me and they're there and they limit me and I can't move forward. I don't know if you feel like that or not. But the writer of Proverbs says the antidote to that is encouragement. Because encouragement, when another person sees your value and communicates a vision for your future, what they are saying is that the past hurtful words that have been said have more to do with the one who said them than you. They're disagreeing with the person who's hurt you. They're saying, they're wrong. You're not stupid. You're not worthless. You're, you're, you are going to amount to something. I can't wait to see what happens. The writer of Proverbs says it's like sweetness to the soul, health to the body. The second thing that encouragement helps us get free of, gets us unstuck from, is insecurity. Insecurity, it's that feeling that we're not enough, that we can't break out of the patterns of our lives because we're flawed, we're, we're limited, we're, we're inhibited by our own inability to solve things, to figure things out. We just don't measure up. Listen to what the writer of Proverbs says in chapter 15, verse 4. He says this, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. If you've spent time in the Bible, that phrase, tree of life, should ring some bells for you because it's a reference to the book of Genesis. Chapter 2, God takes Adam and Eve and he rests them in the Garden of Eden where the tree of life is. And what the writer is referencing is that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve lived totally free of insecurity. The Bible says they were naked and without shame meaning they were completely themselves and were totally free of comparison. Eve didn't worry that she didn't measure up. Adam wasn't concerned at being compared with anyone else. They were both utterly secure, comfortable literally in their own skin. And why? Well, because at the end of Genesis 1, the beginning of Genesis 2, God looks over everything that he's made and declares that it is good. You see, Adam and Eve welcomed the idea from God that they were good. And because that voice shaped them, they were free of any other polluting voice. Encouragement helps us to see and feel our own value so that we're set free from the idea that we aren't good enough that we can't move forward, that we can't accomplish. When someone encourages us, they're saying, even in sometimes in disagreement with us, 
You can do this. I know who you are. I see who you are. And you can do this. Here's the third way encouragement sets us free. It sets us free. It sets us free from purposelessness. It sets us free from purposelessness. Purposelessness is the feeling that I, I'm, I am where I am and there's no hope for me moving forward. But the writer of Proverbs says it this way. I love this. Proverbs 10, verse 21. He says, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. That phrase, feed many, in the original language carries with it this idea of nourishment. What the writer is saying is that the reason why we eat, that caloric intake, is what fuels our body to move forward. We have to keep moving, we burn energy, we have to take in calories, right? So we eat to keep moving, we're nourished to keep going. The writer says that that's what encouragement is. It's emotional and intellectual nourishment to keep us moving forward. When we feel as though I cannot take another step, encouragement is the caloric intake I need to keep moving. Let me give you a story to illustrate this. I read this article this week, fascinating. There was a girl, high school senior in Northumbria, which is in the UK, her name's Paige. And she heard about a bridge in her town where people were going when they were struggling with mental health and jumping off to take their lives. Okay, she read about this, found out it was a problem, and it did, she hated it. So here's what she did. She wrote 40 notes of encouragement. Okay, wrote 40 notes of encouragement and pinned them to the bridge in the spots where people had jumped off in the hopes that the next time somebody went to the bridge, they would find hope. Didn't think, I mean, did that and then didn't think anything of it until a little later when the police knocked on her door to award her with a civic award because six different people had come to the police and said, I went to the bridge to take my life, read a note, changed my mind, I need help. Isn't that amazing? Encouraging notes literally saved lives. This is what one of the notes said, one of the notes that changed someone's mind. Even though things are difficult, your life matters. You are a shining light in a dark world, so just hold on. Listen, those notes carried more power than if 18-year-old Paige had gone to the bridge and tried to physically restrain them from jumping off because encouragement is caloric intake for the soul. It gives us the ability to move forward. That's what the writer of Proverbs was saying. And then here's the fourth thing encouragement sets us free from, shakes us free from, and that is anxiety. Anxiety. Anxiety is this crippling idea that you are not big enough for the problems that wait for you. That you are not big enough for the problems that wait for you. And here's the thing, the Bible tells us that's often true. We are not big enough for the problems that are coming for us. But again, if encouragement is seeing the value of another person and communicating the vision because of that value, you have to understand that encouragement, rightly understood, is a spiritual act. Because people have value because they're made in the image of God. And their life has hope because God has a plan for their future. 
So encouragement isn't just about validating what's true of them. It is reminding them that the value and vision for their life is not about them. It's not theirs to maintain or perpetuate or keep going. It is God's. So encouragement says to them, you don't have to be big enough for the problems that wait. God is the one who calls you valuable. God is the one who has a vision. That's why the writer of Proverbs says it this way in Proverbs 12, verse 25. He says this, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Listen, I don't know how to more accurately describe our world or our families or relationships or our lives or our inner monologues than this. We are living under the umbrella of past words that have hurt us. We are insecure, wandering without purpose, and anxious. So that person that God put on your mind to encourage What you're doing when you say to them, I see your value and I have a vision for your future, you are setting them free from all the things that ruin us. I know you might be thinking is, okay, but but what's this got to do with Jesus? Well, that's my third point. How do we become encouragers? How do we become encouragers? Here's what I want you to understand. If encouragement sets us free from past words and insecurity and purposelessness and anxiety, then encouragement is exactly the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus in that way then is the great encourager because Jesus came to a world full of people who were hurting because of things people had said about them and he rejected those things and spoke value instead. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, who was a thief and a tax collector, I will eat at your house. I don't care what the narrative is about you. Zacchaeus, I see your value. Jesus will say to the woman at the well, I know who you are. I know your reputation, but I see your value. Jesus will say to the thief on the cross, I know you're dying because of your capital crimes and that you have no hope of ever doing enough moral things to eradicate that. You are dying, but you are valuable to me. I'll see you in paradise. Jesus came to a world full of people like you and I whose past defined them and spoke value to them. Jesus set us free from insecurity by saying, I know you feel you don't matter, but I have come because you matter. Jesus said, a greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So in Jesus' living and dying, he wasn't just rescuing us, he was calling us Friends, he was saying over us what God said over Adam and Eve, to me, you are good. He spoke to us of a future, of involvement in his kingdom now, in his church now, but in heaven to come, in eternity of meaning and purpose. And he told us that our value and the vision for our future did not rest on us, but on him that we didn't need to be anxious. Do you remember what he said? Birds aren't anxious, flowers aren't anxious, but you matter more to me than them. Don't worry, I'll take care of you. 
Jesus Christ has changed our lives through the encouragement of his life and death and resurrection. And this means two things. Number one, Christians should understand the meaning and value of encouragement more than anyone. Because we were people whose past define us. We were people who, who lived under the umbrella of the things people who had said, who were struggling with insecurity and purpose, purposelessness, who were weighed down by anxiety. And yet God, in seeing our value and in casting a vision for our future, rescued us. We are people shaped by, changed by encouragement. But then second, we must realize that if that's what God wanted for us, and if that's what God did for us, that is what he wants and will do for those around us. Every single person made in his image. Every single person valuable. Watching my son at the ballpark yesterday, he gets this in a way I do not. He loves to see the value of other people. I have to be honest, I would love for him to grow up to be a great shortstop. Not sure how that's going to go. But if I had to choose, I'd much rather him be a guy who speaks life into those around him. That's our mission, church. What the world needs from us is not more arguing, not retreat, not withdrawal, not segmentation. What the world needs is for us to say, I see your value. And God has a vision for our future. We have to become encouragers because we know the power of encouragement. We know the value of every human life. We know the vision that God has for their future. That's how we're going to change our families. It's how we're going to change our marriages. It's how we're going to change our communities. It is ultimately how we will change the world. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for the encouragement of the gospel of Jesus. It's not that you're ignorant to our weaknesses, to our struggles, to our brokenness. That's why Jesus came to die. But you never wavered in the value that you had given us. You never wavered in your vision for who we could become in your grace. Thank you for that. Share that vision with us so that we might begin to see our neighbors, our friends, our family members, our colleagues, even our enemies, that we may begin to see their value, that we may begin to be the voice in Northeast Ohio that, that people want to be around because we are celebrating who they are and who you've made them and how they bear your image. We might cast a vision for where you want to take us. And that you might set people free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.